What lengths have you gone to to get some rest in your life? So, I don't know if you know this about me, my athletic career is non-existent. Um, not an athlete at all. Uh, I tried a bunch of sports. I was equally bad at all of them growing up. I did one year of athletics in middle school, and, and that's when I resigned myself to marching band being my athletic credit. In, in the athletics year of seventh grade, I played on the football team. I, I, should, I should say I played three snaps that football season. Um, I, uh, after football season, you move into cross-country season, which is just like, it's just, uh, it's just brilliant the way they do that because you're like, oh, cross-country, that sounds cool. What is that? They're like, oh, you just run. Um, like, how far? We're like, we're not sure. They measure it in kilometers. No one knows what that is even. anyways. It's America, so just run. Uh, I remember cross-country practice was just literally the coaches yelling at us to run through the neighborhoods around my junior high. Well, I kid you not, the coach would drive in his truck next to us and be like, run faster! We're like, what? I want that job. That sounds like you have made it when your job is to drive in a truck and just yell at seventh grade boys running through a neighborhood. Weird, weird. Um... A couple weeks into cross-country season and practice, uh, they were going to hold basketball tryouts. And I was like, all right, so I could get out of cross-country practice, aka running, by going to basketball tryouts. Now, mind you, I had never played an actual game of basketball in my life. I played horse. I was pretty good at horse. Honestly, I had nailed, like, the behind-the-back shot. That became my signature move. Um, so I go into basketball tryouts, and they have us, you know, warm up, run back and forth. I'm thinking, this feels like cross country. I don't know what I did. And, and then coach is like, all right, whistle. All right, we're going to start with a really simple opening drill. Just uh, take the basketball, dribble it to the hoop, do a layup, right? Basketball, dribble, layup. Got it? Yeah, got it, coach. So he passes the ball to me, and I dribble the basketball a couple times, and I say, coach, what's a layup? Sit down, Gilliland. <laughs> So I sat by the door facing the outside, and I looked out, and I saw all the losers running the cross-country track for practice. I said, have fun, and I sat there for 45 minutes, best day of my life. Um, what lengths are you willing to go to to find some rest in life? I am 20-plus years older now, and uh, though I'm not in cross-country practice ever, um, haven't run like that in a long time, um, amen indeed. Um, I do frequently feel like each day is just like, get up and run. How far? Uh, just run, right? And if, when I ask people as a pastor, like, how it's going, good, bad, or in between, a word that seems to always come up is, I'm tired. Um, if, you, if I asked you how you're doing right now, and one of the words you'd describe yourself this morning, just in this moment, how many of us would say, I'm tired? If so, say, amen. Yeah. And, and those who can't are asleep right now because they're tired. Um, I think that uh, it's a common human experience, especially these days, to just feel on the close of exhausted, on the edge of exhausted, um, uh, pretty frequently. And um, between balancing work and trust me, like I love my job, good things can exhaust you. Um, between work and family, I love my family, good things can exhaust you. 
um, and then personal life and social responsibilities and all those kinds of things. Um, it's all good stuff, and it's also exhausting. And when some of it's not good stuff, that makes it even doubly more exhausting. And so this Sunday, we're kind of in between seasons, and I just wanted to take a moment and talk about rest and talk about work and talk about Sabbath, because this is one of those subjects I know you've heard a sermon on before. Like, this is one of those subjects that we hear talked about kind of frequently, and maybe there's a reason for that. And maybe by the end of today, um, we'll have an understanding as to why. So let's talk about rest and work and Sabbath and how faith can be a guide for us. Our scripture is going to come to us from the uh, Gospel of Matthew, or Gospel of Mark, rather, Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you that you want to follow along with, or if you want to open up your, your app, you can. Uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. So as you can tell from the chapter number, this comes very early in Jesus' ministry. He's just been sort of recruiting disciples. Mark's gospel doesn't have like baby Jesus in it. He skips all that Christmas crud and uh, moves straight to adult ministry Jesus. And, uh, and so Jesus is, is done a couple of miracles. and He's recruited his disciples, but we're still very early on. And it says this. I'm going to read it for you. It's going to be on the screens. Jesus went through the wheat fields on the Sabbath. As the disciples made their way, they were picking the heads of wheat. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the Sabbath law? He said to them, Haven't you ever read what David did when he was in need, when he and those with him were hungry? During the time when Abiathar was high priest, David went into God's house and ate the bread of the presence, which only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave bread to those who were with him. And then Jesus said, The Sabbath was created for humans. Humans were not created for the Sabbath. This is why the human one is Lord even over the Sabbath. So let's talk about this text because there's a lot here that I want us to walk through. Number one, you might be wondering first, what's the Sabbath, right? I don't want to assume that you know anything coming into this room. That the Sabbath, when it's with a capital S in Scripture, is referring to that holy day from sundown to sundown um, that occupies most of what we call Saturday. That was the Sabbath day for the um, religious Jews living in ancient Israel and and living today. Um, If you are um, uh, in any number of contexts of Uh, with Jewish persons, um, that Sabbath observance is still really important for those full 24 hours. And, And the basic idea is that work comes to a stop. And there are different ways of interpreting what that means. There's, you know, a huge diversity of belief within the Jewish faith. Now, what Jesus is encountering is a very strict understanding of what the Sabbath is and is not. So, he and his disciples are doing two things on the Sabbath that these Pharisees don't like. Number one is they are traveling. It's one thing to walk around your neighborhood. It's another thing to go from here to there. Like that's where you're crossing a line for the Pharisees on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to travel. And number two is they're gleaning these heads of, these grains of wheat from the plants. And, and that's like farming and that sounds a lot like work. So the Pharisees say, you can't do that. Who are these Pharisees after all? The Pharisees were these religious leaders that were were kind of the know-it-all brigade. They were very sure that they had everything figured out. And I don't know anyone 
anyone like that in my life um, other than me. Uh, I love rules. If you're someone who loves a good set of rules, you know, let me, let me see a hand. Let me hear an amen. When I'm playing games, as I talked with the kids last week, I'm the rule maestro. I'm like, ah, excuse me, page 47, paragraph 2, subparagraph sub B says, you know, yeah, I use the four-sided dice, whatever, right? I'm a nerd. It's fine. It's fine. The Pharisees are like religious nerds, and, and they want everyone to follow their very strict rule set um, because that makes them feel important and powerful. There's something like the seventh grade coach yelling at the students to run while they're in the truck, right? Um, similar kind of image. There's a nice metaphor for you. And uh, the Pharisees are upset, and they call Jesus and his disciples out because they're saying, can't you even get this one basic thing right? Even the children in our communities understand that these are not things you do on the Sabbath. And then Jesus replies in, what, in a way that I can only describe as sassy, right? This is clearly a sassy Jesus right here, even though it's not in the notes necessarily. He says, haven't you ever heard that story about David? Now, Asking Pharisees if they've heard a story about David would be like walking into the astrophysics department at UTD and saying, like, I don't know, haven't you ever, like, read Cosmos by Carl Sagan or anything like that? I mean, come on, man. You know, and they're like, yeah, I'm familiar, right? David was, like, the guy in the Jewish tradition. It's like Abraham, Moses, David. Like, if you were a Pharisee, you knew the stories of David. So Jesus says, like, hey, remember David? Remember that story about David where he was traveling and in somewhat of a strange land and he and his people that were with him were hungry and there was that priest, remember that really like powerful priest and he had this like super sacred bread and it's like communion bread but even more sacred like once a year kind of communion bread, like the really good stuff, right? The Hawaiian loaf that's really on short supply right now. <laughs> And, and, and he said that the, the priest took that really sacred bread, and even though it was meant for this really specific and sacred purpose, he let David eat it, and his friends too, because like maybe their hunger was more important than whatever little sacred ceremony they had planned for that day. Maybe that's not really what God ultimately cares most about. And so Jesus seems to be asking a question, not only of the Pharisees, but also of us in this back and forth with the Pharisees. And the question that I hear Jesus asking us is this, is the Sabbath meant to call people into a religious rule set or to call the church into a posture of more common care? So, so the Pharisees think they've got a gotcha question on Jesus and his disciples, and, and they think the Sabbath is there to sort of bring people into their fold and make people sort of ascribe to their rules and to be more religious like they are because they've got it figured out. And Jesus says, yeah, but see, like, these guys are hungry, and you're telling them to rest, but they just want to eat? So, so maybe your religious rule set doesn't work for them? And maybe you need to reframe your understanding of what Sabbath is. I think sometimes when we hear about the Sabbath or we hear people talk about keeping Sabbath in a Christian context, that word can sound really gilded and, and like really sort of fancy and spiritual and like, oh, to, to, to keep Sabbath means I've got to be in prayerful meditation and studying my scriptures and engaging in some sort of, you know, faithful community and, and maybe fasting or some other spiritual discipline. But, but maybe some Sabbaths what we need is stuff that's way more common. 
Maybe we just need to go from here to there. We need a, a change of scenery, or maybe we just need to eat something. I mean, some weeks my Sabbath involves prayer and fasting, but frequently it's eating comfort food, raising cane, somebody say amen, with my family. Sometimes Sabbath is going for a walk and listening to a nerdy podcast as I go from here to there, or, or sometimes Sabbath is watching The Golden Bachelor with Reagan. And if you are not watching The Golden Bachelor, this is my pause in the sermon to say, what are you doing with your life? It is the best thing that has hit TV in Seoul. It is so endearing. I see someone giving me thumbs up in the back. Yes, yes, you are my people. Yes, let's lead a charge. Golden Bachelor, Thursdays at 7 on ABC. Okay. <laughs> Guys, he's just the sweetest guy in the world. It's hilarious. Okay. As the church, getting back on track, as the church, worshiping together, what we're doing on this Sabbath day, this is certainly central to who we are as a community of faith. And yet, this is not an end in, in and of itself. This is simply a means. You arrive, perhaps, hoping to be lifted and to be connected to the heart of God. I pray that you are, but I also pray that this time serves to renew us with hearts that place common care before any kind of sacred ceremony. So we, we don't get it twisted and think that this... And this is about, is who we are ultimately. This is what gets us to be who we need to be. This is not ultimately simply who we are. Because this is what God has called to keep the main thing. And so then Jesus reminds the Pharisees of the main purpose of the Sabbath. He reminds them of the original intent. He says, humans were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humans. And Jesus isn't making this up. He's quoting Deuteronomy. So here's another Old Testament text. This is a, a book of Moses. Deuteronomy is like one of the big ones in the Jewish tradition. And so again, the Pharisees know these words. They know that he's quoting and sort of sending their tradition right back to them. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy when Moses is instructing the people as to how life is going to work this side of the Red Sea. So they've been liberated out of Egypt through the story of Exodus. The Hebrew people were generations upon generations kept in slavery, made to work tirelessly without end. No breaks, no weekend, no nothing. They, they lived under the heel of Egyptian oppression. They're liberated on the other side of the Red Sea, and Moses begins to give them a new way of living that God has given to Moses. And part of that includes the Sabbath, the idea that one day, every seven days, one day you get to stop. Why? Because you get to, because you have no master other than God. And God has said, it doesn't have to happen on this day. You can actually stop working for an entire day. If you are coming out of generations of slavery, the concept of being able to stop and rest once a day every week is like a mind-altering reality shift. Because you are getting to say, the work doesn't actually have to happen. And the, the, the boss doesn't actually get to dictate my life. In fact, God is telling me, this is the most important thing I could be doing. That can be built another day. Now, the, the Hebrew people have a million things they should be doing every day. They're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. It's inhospitable. They should be finding food. They should be getting to the promised land. They should be, they should be, they should be, they should be. But what they do is they stop once a week for an entire 24 hours. That's a pretty wild message to send as an ancient people living in an inhospitable place where work could actually accomplish quite a bit. You know, as people who are called into the liberating work of God here at AUMC, I know that 
a big reason why you may be a part of this church is because of the heart for justice work and, 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 and social change and community work and maybe even activism or, or charitable efforts. And, and I also know that in circles like these where, where we believe in doing good work, just bottom line, we believe that the world needs good people to do good work for the world to be better, that we can also believe this sort of, this difficult other side of that cultural coin that says, anytime you are not doing good, anytime that you are not furthering the mission of the kingdom, anytime that you are not liberating people or, or, or freeing oppressed people or doing some more soul searching and inner work, anytime you're not maximizing your efforts, then you are just wasting time. And don't you know all the people you could be helping with that time that, that you're wasting? Don't, don't you know all the good things that you could be doing, but instead you're living in your privilege by stopping and breathing and resting for a moment? And my friends, I was really grateful that recently my district superintendent, um, that's the name that we give to essentially the, the deputies of the bishop in, in Methodist structure, the district superintendent that oversees this area, um, he was talking about that very subject, about how people who feel called to do good can run themselves ragged, can get burnt out because we think that resting is, is somehow wrong. And he, he put up an image on his social media as he called us to have attention around what rest could look like. I think we've got that prep for the screens. Maybe no we do not. Okay, so uh, imagine, if you will, join me in my imagination mind. Um, so what it is, is, is he was talking about Martin Luther King Jr., someone that I think we could all agree did pretty good stuff in the 20th century, right? Committed his life to incredible works of justice, uh, to, to what we would call kingdom work uh, in a Christian context, and worked tirelessly to that end. And it's this beautiful image, you can look it up, you can Google it right now if you want to, of him leaning on a billiard pool table and shooting pool, uh, looking totally relaxed and having fun. Now, we typically see Martin Luther King marching arm in arm, or at a podium calling people to action, and doing the kinds of good things that we knew his life was committed to. But I love the image that Edlin shared, my DS shared, because he shared it as a reminder that even people who are doing incredible things also get to stop and play pool. And Martin Luther King made time for his own soul to breathe and to have fun with his community and to remember why he was engaging in this liberation work, right? Because the work itself even is not the end, it is simply a means. And my friends, if Martin Luther King Jr. can play pool, then you can watch The Golden Bachelor. Okay? This sermon, I can't stress this enough, is sponsored by ABC. <laughs> so we're laughing, and I, and I want us to sort of laugh and breathe, because again, I think sometimes we, we see all that is wrong with the world. We see all the good that needs to happen, and we begin to feel that pressure building on ourselves. And then the really tragic thing is when we actually try to care for ourselves, we feel guilty in response. And you are not doing the world a favor by making yourself burnt out. You're not doing the world a favor by making yourself a martyr and placing yourself up on a cross that's intended for Jesus and not for you, right? None of us is individually going to save the world in that kind of a way. We get to breathe and occasionally make time for us to simply be, make time for us to simply heal, make time for us to reconnect with God so that then we can continue to commit our lives to good work. There's not just the pressure of religiosity facing Jesus and his disciples, though. There's another pressure that's not written in our scripture, but it's present in the context. And that's the pressures of empire. I want to talk about that for a moment. Um, so, uh, 
in the days of Jesus, uh, the land of Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. They lived under Roman rule. And simply put, the Roman Empire did not like the practice of Sabbath. This idea of everything stopping for a day every single week, one whole day, stuff stops, what are you talking about? If you go back and you read famous Roman writers from the same time that the Gospels were written, writers like Seneca or Juvenal, um, they find the practice of Sabbath just reprehensible. Juvenal, he was a poet. He wrote with disdain about how Jewish people would, quote, pass each seventh day in idleness and refuse to attend to any duty of life. Is that not the most smug guy you've ever heard in your life? They pass each seventh day in idleness and refuse to attend to any duty of life. You know, I can almost hear him say, oh, servant boy, grapes, please. You know, like, really, you're going to lecture us, juvenile? So Abraham Heschel, he was a 20th century rabbi. He actually marched with Martin Luther King Jr., and he was also an author who is just an incredible writer. I would encourage you to read literally anything by him. He wrote a book about the theology and practice of Sabbath called, wait for it, The Sabbath, and great title, 10 out of 10, no notes. Um, he writes about the function of Sabbath as being counter-empire precisely because it stops the pursuit of conquering our space by instead reclaiming and celebrating our time. Okay, there's a lot. I'm going to say that one more time. He says it's, it's, the reason Sabbath is so important, why it's counter-empire is because it stops our pursuit of conquering the space around us, the work that we do to have effect and impact upon the spaces around us, and instead asks us to see time as the precious resource that it is and to celebrate and reclaim and find renewal within time itself. That's a, that's a pretty wild shift. I mean, this is like in the prologue of this book, guys. You need to read it. It's so good. In the days of Jesus, there was a Jewish philosopher named Philo who would defend the Sabbath against the Roman writers, and he was trying to appeal to the Roman sensibilities by saying essentially, you know, with proper rest, people can work even harder. It's like, you know, if you let the seventh graders drink some Gatorade, they can run more kilometers, right? And Heschel reframes that and says, I understand why Philo said what he did, but I don't know that that's really what Sabbath is even about. He reminds us that rest does not exist to further our labor, but rather that labor exists to culminate in our rest. Again, a reframing of how we think we understand the concept of rest. At the end of creation, Heschel reminds us, God was choosing to rest as the climactic conclusion, not as the beginning, but rather the end. Sabbath cries out to the pressures of empire, enough. Because the truth is that we live in a different kind of empire today than Jesus did. But it's an empire all the same. And some things never change about empires. Empires are never satisfied and there is never enough. And if we are not careful, we will adopt the same attitude as the empire that we call home. Where there is never enough. Never enough money, never enough power, never enough you fill in the blank here. And that's because, hear me clearly, empires do not care about your soul. I don't care how much you love the empire that you live within. Empires, as a thing, do not care about your soul. They care about your output. They will see how much they can exploit and how little that they can pay. They push people as far as they can and give as little as possible in return. 
They, and I cannot emphasize this enough, do not see people as people ultimately. I'm not talking about leaders that you love. I'm talking about the empire itself does not see people as people. Empires see people as resources, as possessions, as commodities right next to the ships and the gold and the oil. It's why labor rights have to be fought for time and time again. And every time we make work more efficient, what happens? Somehow our work only increases. It's why you answer emails in your bed on your laptop at 10 p.m. at night. And it's why you can find an Airbnb in your neighborhood, but you can't afford to pay your rent. And it's why the wealthiest nation in the world is still satisfied with millions of people dying from the outcomes of preventable poverty. And maybe the work that is needed to resist an empire like that starts not in the streets or the ballot box or even another book study. Maybe this is first and foremost soul work, and it always has been, and that's why Sabbath is so important. Sabbath is a theological and practical reality that seeks through faithful resistance to break us out of a broken empire and into the kingdom of God where the conquering stops and the working stops and the toil and the labor and the tireless efforts quiet for a day and all we are is simply being. It's not lazy. It's faithful. It's reconnecting with the God who designed us for more than an endless crazed search for enough. The God who liberates us from empires that see us as means to an end. Connecting with the God who wants us to be about good work in this life, but not so that simply the work can continue, but so that one day, God willing, that work could come to an end. Sabbath is us practicing what it means to simply sit and be in the glory of God. And so if you're tired, I would say, I'm sure... And if you think the answer to exhaustion is just trying a little harder, I would invite you to consider a different way. Maybe this week's Sabbath looks like a full day that you get to set aside for whatever you think is going to restore your soul and help you to encounter God. Or maybe for you, Sabbath is simply finally placing some boundaries around some time that you can reclaim as your own. You're not going to build this Rome in a week. But this is lifetime work, lifetime rest that we can make our lives about. So my friends, I know you're tired. Join me in Sabbath. Amen.